I'm Marco Werman, and this is The World, a co-production of the BBC World Service, PRI, and WGBH Boston. A year ago this week, Japan was hit by the most powerful earthquake in its recorded history. The magnitude 9.0 quake was centered just off the country's northeastern coast, and what followed was a disaster of mythic proportions. A wall of water, in some places more than 130 feet high, slammed into the shoreline. The tsunami virtually wiped some towns off the map. It caused a triple nuclear reactor meltdown, and it left nearly 20,000 people dead or missing. For this anniversary, we sent reporter Sam Eaton into the disaster zone. He found that in many places, the recovery process has barely begun. It may seem an unlikely place to post messages of hope for the tsunami victims. After all, it is a comic book museum. But this white dome-like structure is also an icon, or at least it was. Today, the museum sits empty on a windswept island across from what was once the vibrant center of Ishinomaki City. More than 3,000 people died a year ago in this small fishing port northeast of Sendai, the highest toll of any town hit by the tsunami. And like most communities along this ravaged coast, much of the land here in Ishinomaki now lies barren, except for the mountains of wreckage piled on the outskirts of town. Masatoshi Saijo runs the comic museum. He says people from all over Japan and all over the world have come here and written notes of encouragement on the sheets of plywood that cover the museum's battered entrance. Most say things like, we believe you can reopen or don't be beaten by the disaster. But Saijo's favorite is this one. It says the common rider will live forever, referring to the famed mast character the museum is devoted to. Saijo says one year after so much of his city was destroyed, these characters and their stories of banding together to fight evil have taken on new meaning for the people who survived. The idea of never giving up, he says, or of helping one another. These are the ideals the cartoon characters aspire to. But when it comes to rebuilding Ishinomaki City and all the other towns wrecked by the tsunami, there are no fictional saviors, just ordinary people trying to rebuild their lives under extraordinary circumstances. Today, Ken Matsumoto's metal shop buzzes with life. Workers grind smooth the welds on a smokestack they've built for a new garbage incinerator. But there are reminders of the wall of water and mud that tore through here a year ago. Matsumoto shows me the dark water line on the wall just above his head. And then he points to one of his workers. He says that man lost his house and his entire family in the tsunami. His wife, his kids, even his parents. But he still comes into work every day. Around a quarter of Matsumoto's 96 employees lost their homes, but they all came back, some even before there was electricity or food. First, they fixed the machines in the shop, and then they used those machines to fix other machines so that other companies could reopen, all without any help from the government. Matsumoto, who's 59, saw it as his responsibility to his workers and his community. But Matsumoto says getting people back to work is only one part of the recovery. The real recovery, he says, will happen when people feel they're able to live safe and secure lives again. And he says that's not likely to happen anytime soon. That pessimism runs deep here. 
I met Nobuyuki Takahashi at his office, a nonprofit that helps kids. Until recently, he managed a shelter for tsunami victims. Takahashi says there's a saying in Japan, first you save yourself, then the people around you, and last of all will come help from public institutions. He says for the most part, the 320,000 people who lost their homes in the disaster are still waiting for that help. For instance, it took the Tokyo government nearly a year to create a standalone recovery agency. This despite constant reminders of just how vulnerable people still are. Oh, Our interview was interrupted by a strong earthquake that lasted about 30 seconds. It didn't make much sound, but we could feel it. Pretty big and pretty long, Takahashi says. How often do those happen? Every day. There are hopes that the new recovery agency will now streamline the rebuilding process, one that's expected to take at least a decade and cost more than $200 billion. Takahashi is a proponent of rebuilding the tsunami zone as a model for dense, low-carbon communities. He believes that may mean the difference in keeping the few younger residents who still remain here. But Takahashi, who himself is 63, says his generation makes up the majority of these towns and villages. And most, he says, want to rebuild just the way it was. It's extremely difficult to go down a new path, Takahashi says. It's natural for people to want to return to what they had before. A hundred miles up the coast in the rusting steel and port town Kamaishi, that's not an option. Here, work crews are still tearing down wrecked buildings. But city planners see the cleared lots as an opportunity to tackle problems that have existed for decades. Kanako Fujiwara is with the city's reconstruction office. She says going back to what was here before the tsunami is impossible because Kamaishi was already dying. Japan's rapidly aging population has hit small, isolated towns like Kamaishi the hardest. In four decades, it lost nearly two-thirds of its population, mostly the younger generations. Fujiwara says if towns like hers are to have any future at all, rebuilding differently is their only hope. She unfurls a planning map on a table. These orange shapes, she says, represent new apartments for people who lost their homes in the disaster. And the red ones are community housing for the elderly. Instead of rebuilding individual homes near the ocean, Kamaishi planners favor green apartment complexes carved into the town's steep hillsides. And along the river in Kamaishi's center, concrete embankments would be replaced by a curving earthen barrier that would help absorb a tsunami's impact and serve as a city park. Fujiwara says ideas like these will not only make Kamaishi safer, they'll also make it a place that appeals to people of all ages and may even attract new businesses. But whether these things are actually built depends on limited recovery funds from Tokyo, $650 million of which has already been allocated to a single massive construction project, rebuilding the city's seawall. I drive up the road to a spot overlooking Kamaishi Bay where the old seawall lies in ruins. When it was completed just a few years ago, it was the largest in the world. And it was supposed to bring a sense of safety to Kamaishi. But then a 30-foot wave tore right through it and killed more than a 1,000 people. Kamaishi resident Naoko Fukunari says she still can't believe it. 
She says instead of rebuilding the wall, the money should be spent on the town's new housing plans and better roads to escape on in case of another emergency. In the downtown business district, which was mostly destroyed by the tsunami, we stopped next to an empty concrete slab. Fukunari says there was a shop here she liked to visit that had pretty pottery and nice fabric. She says now that it's gone, the place feels lonely and empty. Like many Japanese cities, Kamaishi has already been destroyed and rebuilt many times, from tsunamis and even American bombs during World War II. But Fukunari says it's hard for her to remain hopeful for yet another rebirth. Instead, she says, she tries to be thankful for the basic things of life, like having food to eat and a place to sleep. For The World, I'm Sam Eaton, Kamaishi, Japan. We've got a slideshow of Sam's pictures from the tsunami zone at theworld.org. You can see the barren lands decimated by the disaster, as well as the manga museum and the makeshift message board filled with notes of encouragement from around the world. All in all, a pretty emotional reminder of what befell Japan almost a year ago. Again, the slideshow is at theworld.org.